Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. You can check out ebooks of all of their comics at yourstory.ca for $1.99, as well as their 85 by 11 high-quality, limited-print-run, magazine-style comics. And when you use one-time promo code JETS2020, you can get 15% off your order. On tonight's episode, we're going to be recapping some of what happened during last night's Vegas and Dallas game, giving some regular season grades for a couple of players on the Jets roster, and getting a bit of a live look in during Isles versus Tampa Bay later this evening. Would love it if the NHL gave us games before 8 o'clock Eastern, but, you know, we can't always have nice things, so a late night it's going to be. Kicking us off, though, I thought we would first start with the Vegas and Dallas series, which, you know, did kind of start off on a bit of a surprising note. Dallas won the first game 1-0, and for all of Vegas's good attempts and quality play, they could not solve both the Dallas defense and Anton Hudobin. That wasn't quite the case last night. It felt like Vegas basically had the floodgates finally open, and a lot of the great opportunities that they've been creating started getting past uh, Kudobin and the rest of the Dallas Stars roster. At the same time, Vegas was doing a very good job of controlling puck possession and basically driving a lot of defensive plays as a result of not giving Dallas any space to breathe or even create offensive looks. You know, when you're when you're looking at a guy like Corey Perry as one of your greatest uh, creators of expected goals in terms of offensive production that's not really a a strong sign that your top six and the rest of your depth forwards are able to create a whole lot quite honestly last night was a bit of a paddling and it's kind of the game that i expected vegas to play especially against a dallas roster that isn't quite as deep and as skilled as what vegas tends to put out dallas has done really well against some very strong teams thus far but i think that this is the first time where they genuinely just did not really have an answer throughout the entire 60 minutes even against the avs when they got smoked like 6-3 or whatever, they were at least able to create more offensive opportunities, especially late in the game, than they did against Vegas. I think that the Knights played a masterful game and basically silenced Dallas on most of their best opportunities. While their, you know, top-end forwards and and some of their star young players like Shea Theodore were able to create from the back end and at other flanking areas. When the wings and blue liners are activating and scoring for a team like Vegas, the Knights are rolling. I mean, that's that's the kind of play that you want to see, especially guys like Alex Tuck, Jonathan Marcheseau, Riley Smith, Shea Theodore, Nate Schmidt. All of these guys contributing in some capacity, that's what you like to see, and, and Max Pacioretty certainly in that category as well. Stastny had a nice two-point night for himself, which is always a little bit sad to see just because, you know, when the Jets were in their cup run, Stastny was such a huge contributor, and he was somebody that I'd hoped to stick around for the longer term, but of course, that didn't happen, and he ended up going to Vegas in free agency. His time there has been a little bit uneven, especially because it's been marred mostly by injuries, but he looks like he's back to his form. He's been playing pretty well for most of the season, and I think that Stastny, when he's healthy, is a really legitimately great two-way force. William Carlson also had himself a goal, and Thomas Nosek also scored, which is not exactly something that you see too often. I will say that a lot of the depth forwards figured on the score sheet this evening, including one guy that I am kind of intrigued for in the long run, and that is Nicolas Waugh. Waugh was somebody who I think was a cast-off in Carolina, and I really felt like he had some sort of untapped potential as being a potentially good middle six forward. You know, he's got a really good set of hands, he's a smart player, his positioning is nice, he can be an absolute pest around the net. And while, sure, his AHL numbers for Charlotte may not have been exactly the, the world's top-end scoring player, this is a big-bodied center who does like to grind in those deeper areas. He likes to get in the corners. He's also comfortable getting in front of the net. 
and serving either as a screen or somebody who likes to clean up rebound opportunities. I always have time for a big player who is actually skilled, and this is one of those guys who fits that mold. I think that he's somebody who doesn't exactly have like 40 or 50 point upside, but certainly as a 30 point third liner or something like that, with a powerful build and really greasy goal scoring ability, that is something that I think you really like to see. And there's always a chance that he's got more upside than he's shown thus far. I think for a team like Vegas, Wah is like the perfect guy that you bring in, especially for your bottom six right now, but I could easily see him getting promoted as he continues to develop and improve. He's generally been noticeable this series in a good way, and I think that that is something that's very important and underrated because you like to see these players for Vegas uh, performing in, in really good depth roles. They are always a team that likes to live off of players who, you know, people have kind of overlooked and they, they kind of give new life in their careers too. And Wa is kind of one of those players who I think was stagnating in, in Carolina and now has a chance to really show that he is a lot more than what he's been cast as. Even when he was with the Chicago Wolves, immediately his offensive production started nearing a point per game. If you're the Knights, this is a perfect sign, and he's, he's not too far off from being around a half point per game for Vegas, especially as like a depth forward. In this playoff run, he's quietly had around 8 points in around 17 games, which I think is very quietly underappreciated contributions, especially on a team that is this deep and a squad where he's not really going to be getting top 6 ice time. Wah is somebody who I think could be a, a big difference maker especially going forward if they make the the Stanley Cup finals because you go against a team like Tampa Bay who seems like the most likely squad to emerge out of the Eastern Conference finals and I think you need a, a player like Wah who's skilled who's strong and who's capable of grinding against those opposing Tampa Bay Lightning players because their bottom six is absolutely loaded they really do not have a whole lot of dead weight on that roster and I think that that is something that Vegas has yet to really encounter because you look at Dallas and the Stars even though they put on a pretty decent showing in the first game I think the second game is more reflective of what I expected from the series, and probably a better sign of what's to come in the rest of the games. That's not to say that the Stars won't surprise me like they have throughout this entire postseason, but I just don't think that they have the firepower to skate with Vegas on a consistent basis. Against the Avs, you're more likely to find a, a team that was unfortunately capable of shooting itself in the foot, but with the Knights, you really don't see Vegas doing many self-inflicted injuries. The Knights just aren't going to give you a whole lot of opportunities to score, and when they do, Robin Lerner is usually pretty good to uh, to stop most of those opportunities. So if Dallas wants to kind of keep in this series, they're going to have to put on a much tighter performance than they did in the, the second game. Obviously, that's going to depend on which version of Vegas shows up, because like the Knights in some of these other games, they haven't been as impressive at 5v5, depending on the, the game that we're talking about. But we all know that when they aren't scoring, that doesn't mean that they're not creating a lot of opportunities. There have only been a couple of games where the Knights really weren't generating a whole lot, and I think we're not going to see that happening anymore. I think against Dallas, they're going to continue to create, and they're going to be a dangerous squad like we've seen for most of the rest of the season. Dallas is definitely still in this series, but I think for obvious reasons, we're all kind of thinking we know exactly who's moving on to the Cup Finals, and unless the Stars put on a much better performance that's able to kind of counter Vegas's really speedy transition game, you know, it's just going to be a very difficult road to climb back and, and really stay in this series. Up next, we'll do a little bit of play review from this regular season and postseason and figure out if any of these players from the Jets have been you know, maybe at expectation, above expectation, or well below. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Built Bar's recent relaunch. And if you've never had a Built Bar, it's a protein bar that's more like a candy bar. It's got a nice dark chocolate exterior with a soft, chewy interior that's kind of like a like a nougat bar almost. When it comes to protein bars, I'm usually very picky because a lot of them are just very dry and unappetizing. You know, that, that crunchy interior is often more of a turnoff than you'd think because, you know, the flavors are not great, it has a very artificially chemical-y flavor, and it's just not a good 
experience. I was pleasantly surprised when I first tried Built Bar and really enjoyed like the raspberry flavor and the mint brownie flavor, and that was just their original recipe. Built Bar's back with a new and improved version of their already great protein bars. They've brought six new flavors along for the ride, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Built Bars not only taste great, but they're low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're perfect for keto diets as well as weight maintenance or weight loss routines. Most Built Bars clock in at under 200 calories, around 5 grams of net carbs, and between 15 to 19 grams of protein, so you can enjoy all of the great flavors that they have to offer with none of the guilt. Be sure to head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Earlier in the show, I also brought up Your Story Transmedia, the startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. If you follow my personal Twitter, you definitely know that I'm a sucker for all sorts of nerd culture. You know, I grew up reading comics, watching anime, collecting lots of action figures and stuff, so I know some good, unique stories when I see them. And Your Story's putting out some really interesting works. They actually just launched a whole lineup of new comic books, and their flagship comic, The River Knows, might catch your eye. Especially because it's set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's like a supernatural detective noirish story with a little bit of Sin City, X-Files, and Mad Men all thrown in together. There's this element of cosmic horror in the background that kind of creates a creeping sense of dread until you see that familiar comforting sight of the crossing of Portage in Maine. You can check out the first issue of The River Knows at yourstory.ca for just $1.99 for the ebook and $11.99 for the high quality limited edition first printing of their 85 by 11 magazine style version. You can also find their other comic books there including Undercover UFO, Eon, and Through Space and Time and stuff. And if you're a gamer, be sure to check out Alien Machine Glow coming soon which focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who ends up gaining the ability to see aliens. Again, be sure to head on over to yourstory.ca and when you place an order, use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Jets show. For this middle segment, we're going to be taking a look at some of the player grades that we might be able to give out for this regular season and postseason combined. We're going to start off with a couple of players who I think, in my opinion, had underrated seasons. And we'll first start off with Andrew Kopp. Andrew Kopp, for me, has always been somebody who I don't think gets enough credit for being the kind of player that he is. Oftentimes, I think Kopp gets criticized for, you know, playing in the top six slot as a second-line center, but not actually scoring a whole lot. But generally speaking, I think he's somebody who doesn't really need to. What he brings instead is forechecking ability, space creation, a bit of a buzzsaw mentality when it comes to getting to the net, and just really good and smart positioning. He's somebody who I think actually gets quite a few primary points, especially in previous seasons, because he's around play and he's around areas where the action is. And I think that that is, for me, one of the more important aspects of a player who is like a transition specialist or somebody who is a creator for, you know, talented line mates like Line A, Ehlers, etc. And sure, he doesn't exactly have like the world's most elite release, but what he does have is very good skating. Like he's he's a pretty fast skater, generally speaking. He's got nice acceleration. His shot is actually not bad. Sometimes his decision making, I think he tends to overthink some of his shooting lanes just a little bit because he wants to get that perfect opportunity. And I think he can maybe just gun it to the net instead. But I, I feel like he's a really well-rounded player. And for the kind of roles that he had to play this season, especially with how much chaos there was uh, towards the postseason and with Brian Little's absence I feel comfortable giving him a solid A- I I think that given what he was asked to do he did it admirably and sure there were some minor blemishes where he wasn't always the most offensively productive player but I think that that is to be expected for a guy who in most 
contending teams would probably be like an elite two-way third-line center. That he can actually be a second-line center and be pretty competent at it, I think that just really speaks to the level of skill that he brings to this team and how underappreciated he often is. The next player that I'm going to bring up is one that I, I've talked about a little bit on Arctic Ice Hockey, and for me, he's a very controversial player because I think that the idea of what he is is a little bit more robust than what he actually is on ice, and that is Kyle Connor. Connor for me has always been a very complicated player because there are so many different things that I like about his game, but what he often lacks is there's just this ability to drive play in a way that brings a lot of efficiency and positive play no matter what he's doing. When he's away from like an elite space creating center like, you know, Mark Shifley or when when Wheeler was asked to play center, uh, you know, Blake obviously was filling that role for a bit. You know, Connor's game kind of tends to fall off of it. He, he skates a lot, and he likes to carry the puck, and he will create dangerous scoring opportunities, especially at even strength, but I, I feel like there's something with his game that's still missing. You know, he doesn't always know where the best positioning is, he doesn't really make the best use of his line mates, and we all know that when he's in his defensive zone and whatnot, he really struggles with defensive marking and lane reads and all that stuff, and that's, that's you know, I, I don't expect those to be things that he excels in as, as a, a winger who's like a goal scorer, but overall I feel like he needs to be somebody who's more capable of supporting his line mates and being a better outlet, because I think that that is one thing that he doesn't do enough, especially in supportive positions to make the most of his teammates, and allow his teammates to get the most out of him. Now, he does bring plenty of goal scoring, and he's a very good skater and a good attacker, but the lack of defensive awareness and play driving ability really limits for me the kind of rating that I can give him. I think on the whole, I want to give him like a B minus because I think that he had a very productive scoring season like he usually does, but the rest of his game leaves enough, you know, red flags for me that I, I have to kind of keep him away from a higher B or a low A. And you might be wondering how a guy with like 70-ish points or so gets a, a B minus over a player like Andrew Kopp, who really didn't bring the same level of offensive scoring. But I think in terms of expectation and what some of these players were asked to do, I think that that kind of has to be for me a factor in how I rate them. And I think Kyle Connor was asked to do a lot of things that he's not really capable of. You know, he was asked to be on the PK. He's not really capable of that. And at even strength, I think his lack of defensive IQ and occasionally offensive zone awareness were, were very prevalent in certain circumstances. And it's not always his fault. I think that this is something that the coaching staff doesn't always account for. But it does highlight some of the reasons why I think that his game definitely needs some additional work and rounding out. In tomorrow's episode, we'll continue some of our player reviews, but we're going to kind of cut it off from here and talk about the upcoming game between the Islanders and Tampa Bay Lightning. Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show. We are going to close out talking a little bit about tonight's New York Islanders versus Tampa Bay Lightning game, and I think you will probably be unsurprised that Tampa Bay once again won. What may surprise you, though, is that this was actually a fairly even game. I think both Tampa Bay and the Islanders played a very tight, very controlled very defensively oriented match that was going to need a couple of lucky breaks in order for one of these teams to break the ice. And I think that this is the kind of situation where I felt like the New York Islanders were both at an advantage and also at a disadvantage. On the one hand, this kind of game might favor them just because they like to grind out goals around the goal mouth and they often like to create chaos, 
you know, with a really strong physical forecheck and by basically bullying their way into that crease area. The downside is they're playing against Tampa Bay, and Tampa also has, like, the world's best uh, arrangement of really good goal scorers and high-end finishers. So if you make a single mistake, especially in a really tight game like this, and you give up a, a simple counter, it can easily end up in the back of your net. That said, it was the Isles who actually connected first with Matt Martin getting a bit of a lucky break where I don't know if he just got through the defense or Tampa Bay kind of switched off, but he basically found himself right in front of the uh, the net, right in front of Vasilevsky, and sort of shoveled a really nice pass uh, into the top left corner right over Vasilevsky's shoulder. I don't think Andre actually even saw the puck because he was paying attention looking behind him, and he didn't realize that Matt Martin was basically unguarded. Just like that, it was one nothing New York. And then a few minutes later, Alex Kalorn ended up taking out Brock Nelson along the walls in what was a pretty uncharacteristically dirty play. Like, Kalorn has always had some edgy hits, and I think he actually has been suspended before, but this one was just really needless and very ugly. He was tossed from the game, and the Islanders were given a five-minute power play, which you thought, well, maybe they can finally run up the score. But, you know, this team just really seems to have trouble getting goal scoring going, especially on special teams. This is one area that they've consistently struggled with, and I feel like they kind of run into some of the same issues that the Jets do, in that part of their entire strategy is to run it through a couple of defensemen who aren't really offensively gifted or, or capable of quarterbacking that back end on a PP. The Isles also had a 5-on-3 power play much later in the game, and this was after Tampa Bay had tied it. And I was kind of sure that they were going to score, and yet they just couldn't. I mean, they created lots of opportunities throughout the game. They created some chances on that 5-on-3 power play, but no matter what, whether it was kind of uh, shoveling a puck over the net in, in when they were point-blank in the prime scoring opportunity, or just not really getting the right shooting lanes or overthinking a pass versus directly shooting on the opportunity, I, I just think that the Isles were in their own heads. They made mistakes. They got sloppy. And then Tampa Bay, seven seconds before the end of regulation of the third period, scored a beautiful goal from Nikita Kucherov. I think Tampa had less than 20 shots on net, but it didn't really matter because, again, this team is one of those squads where if you make a single mistake and they manage to get a counter going, immediately it's going to be in the back of your net. Didn't 100% work out that way just because Tampa actually had like two really good shanked shot opportunities or, or ones that were fired over the crossbar or just over the post, and you thought, well, you know, maybe the Isles have actually gotten away with it, but then, of course, Kucherov kind of finished it off. And, you know, I don't want to say that New York is done in this series, but I felt like this was a must-win game. This is one of those opportunities where Trotz is going to have to eke out a win. But he put in Andrew Ladd in this game. Ladd and Pajot and Komarov were out for those last couple of minutes, and they really didn't do anything. And I think that that is really on trots. You know, Perry is one of those guys who I think works really well when he has a team with a talent deficiency. He's kind of like what I think people think Maurice is in the sense that he, he has a pretty good tight defensive structure. He likes teams that have limited skills because often those guys can be very effective four checkers and they can fit his defensive, you know, more conservative approach to hockey. Where that becomes an issue is when you need talented finishers or guys who are going to be put in the best positions to score goal scoring opportunities. I feel like Trotz hasn't been able to always get that from this team, and certainly, like, the power play has been something of a mess. And, you know, obviously it might seem a little bit harsh to criticize a team that has come this far with the kind of talent it has, and, and it's not like the series is over. Tampa only has a 2-1 series lead. But I think in a game like this, where you basically shut down most of Tampa Bay's best offensive opportunities, at least volume-wise, you, you kind of need to own that shot share, especially in danger and, and quality, and I, I don't think that they were really capable of getting that extra push 
to either get those chances or to finish on them. New York will need to quickly reset before the weekend, but I gotta be honest, I don't really think that they're gonna have much to do at this point. They played their game and it didn't work, and that might just be about the extent of what they can accomplish at this level unless they start getting a bit luckier or actually finish on the chances that they create. That's gonna do it for tonight's episode. Stay tuned tomorrow for some more player season grades from the Jets, as well as some more playoff coverage around Dallas and Vegas. Thanks so much for listening, and before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National Podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Have a great night, and go Jets go!